time for another edition of Tennis.com's weekly podcast. And here's your host, James Martin. All right, welcome to the two-man Tennis.com podcast this week. As Miami's going on, I am James Martin with Steve Tigner, and we have no Pete Bodo. Pete is uh, in Miami. He's actually just touching base, and uh, so check out Tennis.com. Uh, Pete's blog, Tennis World, he'll be blogging or writing uh from miami all week and it's it's a little strange i have to say steve being a, a two-man show i feel like the, the saturday night live skit with the the two pbs women we can sort of make our podcast kind of like high yeah we can and nobody <laughs> nobody can tell us apart anyway right no no one can tell us apart so, so we sound the same so anything that was that that is very incisive and, and insightful uh that's me and um just credit james with that and uh the rest can go to Steve. <laughs> All right, good, good enough. I'll take that. <laughs> We're going to try to answer some letters today. I've got a ton of letters here we're going to get to, but first let's uh we thought we l- we thought we discussed Miami tournament. The the coverage on TV first off has been I think frustrating uh from a fan's point of view, Fox uh Sports Network or whatever it's called on all these weird channels you have to hunt and gather to find the thing and it's um they're they're not what what's your yeah, that's the problem. The problem when when you go away from the tennis channel, you really start to appreciate the tennis channel. Will show tennis, obviously, as long as they possibly can. We last year at this at this tournament, we we had Del Potro and Nadal cut off before the end of the match, a close match that Del Potro eventually won for hockey. That's right, I forgot hockey that. in the New York area. So expect some more of that if you're in the New York area and probably any any affiliate of Fox. It is, and they they were saying they were teasing the the Wozniacki. And uh, uh, a Kirilenko match yesterday. We're going to get to that. And, of course, the Nadal match goes long. So the uh, next thing I know, I've, I was watching on tape delay. I, I've got, like, some sort of amateur marathon I'm watching from some, some suburb or something. It really, it really is frustrating. So what do you think of Lindsay Davenport as, a, as an announcer? I think she's gotten better. She's not bad. I think she's been, she's, she has gotten a bit better. Um, she works well with Justin, I think. And, um, How about Justin? What do you think of him? I think he's all right. I think he's. I, I think, think he's he better than people give him credit for. A lot of people don't like him, and I know he can he can talk too much and get make it seem like it's all about him. But I think he's. I think he's good. I, I actually, you know, I learn things about the players listening to him. I, I agree, I, and he's 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 toned down the whole about me kind of thing. I don't think he he makes everything about him like he used to when he first started, and he definitely gets involved. I think in some of the locker room stuff and and uh, finding out what's going on and. Occasionally, he'll say some really funny, ridiculous things. But having now done these podcasts, I can see how it's very easy to make yeah, a maybe mistake. Someday, when you're maybe someday, maybe people will accept him. <laughs> will accept Justin. They should. Friends. Yeah, they should. I mean, he's decent. I mean, what did you think of the Nadal match? I mean, I th- he, it was with Nal- against Nalbany, and it was it was actually pretty entertaining for at least a set and a half, or at least when they w- he w- into the second set. It was set. good. It was a lot of. It seemed like like a heavy heavy match. The ball wasn't traveling through the air very fast. Very Nadal, you know, had trouble. Getting the ball past Nalbandian, a lot of heavy topspin Nalbandian. Fat man Nalbandian? Nalbandian, well, <laughs> he did get tired. It's true. <laughs> it's true. But he's always had that, he's always had that, um, you know, less than perfect physique, I guess. Yeah. But he's never, I don't know that he's ever, he's lost that many matches due to fitness. He's, he did seem to get tired in this match. But he has a great game for Nadal. That backhand is, you know, really, he can dominate the court even off Rafa's forehand. So that makes it, that makes it, Always a tough matchup for him. He's beaten Nadal easily on a couple occasions, and Nadal had to save match points last year at Indian Wells. I was su- once Rafa lost the first set. I was actually surprised that he. I was surprised that he won the match because he looked really nervous in that in that first set tiebreaker. He double faulted when he was up five four, really bad double fault. But um, 
You could tell he really wanted that match too. He yeah. was into it. Yeah, I think he like any I guess like any player, top player who has a somebody who's beaten him a few times, you, you can't let that keep happening. No, the one thing that was peculiar was watching and we talked about this this morning, but was that Nelbanian's first serve, he was getting some fair amount of aces and, and service winners. He was serving first serve around 115, 120 maximum. And his second serves were coming in in the low 80s, which is like a rec serve. And yet Nadal wasn't really doing much with it. And it partly, I guess, was he was he does stand back far. He doesn't, he's not aggressive on returns, but he seemed kind of confused and befuddled a little bit by just what Nelbanian was doing with the serve. I didn't quite understand it unless there's more actions... More spin on on nails served than than it looks. Well, yeah, not, uh, Nadal rarely he has a he has a fine return to serve, but it's a it's a big loop. Even the on second serves, he tends to even he can move back and and go for the the high looping ball. He rarely you rarely see him take a ball inside the inside the baseline on a return. Well, uh, Doug Adler, the guy on the tennis channel, was trying to argue that case uh, in some some respects. Got <laughs> got pounded by his commentator <laughs> friend in the booth. But um, I, really, it's looking like a possible Federer-Nadal uh, showdown, right? When I mean, looking at the well, draw. Jo- Murray and Djokovic. I guess the story of this tournament for the men is Murray and Djokovic's sort of non-performance at this tournament. Djokovic lost to Rokas, who I didn't see that match. Yeah, but neither did I. But um, Djokovic gave Rokas a lot of credit. Rokas is a nice player. Maybe Djokovic is still can still a little burned out from playing so much tennis earlier in the can, year. Can it's you be burned out in March? <laughs> I, mean, I guess so. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough rest of the year if, if he's burned out already. Um, and then Murray. I mean, Murray looked pretty terrible. Murray is, is probably more concerning. He, he, there's some small signs, I guess, of a foot injury he, that he also showed at Indian Wells, but he, he won't say anything about that. But he just looked like, I mean, that didn't affect his shots. He got to the, on the last shot of the first set against Marty Fish, he got to the ball in plenty of time, drilled an easy passing shot into the net. He, I think he may be, he hasn't done much since he lost the Australian final. I, I get the feeling that was, a, um, that was a tough thing to take, that match, to lose, to get to the final and then to lose to Federer in straight sets and probably not to feel that, not to feel like he was, he really had a chance in that match. I think that, I, th- I get the feeling that's still affecting him. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I mean he, he didn't, he didn't have a chance really, and and now, I don't know. I mean he he just looked. He was yelling at his box a lot. He was he was really mo- a lot more of the the old Murray and his his. You know, I remember I heard him at one point in the match against Fish yelling. You know what's going on? He's like yelling, what's going on? Like this. He it's almost like he didn't understand. And there were other times. Uh, and they were mentioning possible foot injury. Where I don't know if you know, it's like in a couple serves, he he hit the serves almost into the bottom of the net. It was like he wasn't getting up to hit them, and he did some of that with his forehand too. So if he is injured, that's that's obviously unfortunate. But uh, Gimmelstab was was actually making the point that he just thinks it's more mental right now. Maybe it does yeah, trace back to Australia. And he said after the match that he's not strong out there right now, the way he was at the beginning of the Australian Open, and that that his his mental approach had been a big part of his. Um, success over the last year and then he he admitted that he'd lost that in the last few tournaments we better get it back soon as uh the french one is not that far away and on the men on the women's side um i haven't seen a whole lot on the women's side so i'm, I'm gonna uh, wait till the next podcast toward the end of the week to comment more but i did watch henan yesterday um and she looked sharp uh have you seen anything steve that that kind of sticks out uh, as a good match or anything of interest yet i know kleister's and azarenka play yeah, that's right. Um, that's either good. today that's or t- I think it's today on on Monday. That should be a good match. Both of those players have had a couple disappointing results recently. 
uh, Azarenka and Indian Wells Clysters in Indian Wells in Australia. But but um, they, as far as entertaining WTA tennis, they you know they've got it. They should. I would expect that to be a to be a good match. Hopefully, they will show that on TV today. We will have to wait and see. Um, we'll revisit all of Miami's action toward the end of the week when we return as a I think again a two man podcast. Oh, we might bring in Tom Parada, Tomahawk Tom, as uh, Pete Bodo calls him. In the meantime, wanted to get to a few letters, and and this one kind of is a letter tied into a recent uh, thing that we just learned at the end of last week. Uh, American, actually, he's a uh, Wayne Odesnik, uh, was found guilty of importing HGH into Australia earlier this year. Um, that's human growth hormone, banned substance. And someone was actually writing in, and it's Michelle, and it says in parentheses TWMWU. So I'm not sure what that means, but I'll just read the letter here, Steve, throw it to you. But uh, Steve, you had an item on your blog a couple weeks ago on the discussion around performance enhancing drugs. While the rhetoric behind the sources Steve cited is a little overheated, I was wondering if you guys had thoughts on the issue. Do you think some are using steroids on tour? Do you think, do you, or do you think something like EPO would be more beneficial in today's game? Is the testing process, Byzantine as it is, strong enough or too strong? Or not strong enough? Or too well, that's a lot of that's a lot to loaded to take yes. in. Um, the one thing we found out recently that was interesting: the I, there was an ITF document that appeared online that showed that a lot of out-of-competition tests come back with no result and uh, um, no blood test, no urine test, no EPO test. Does that mean that the players aren't showing, are, are not at it's the either that spots? It's either that they're a violation of where they're supposed to be for an hour each day or the tester came at a different time and that wouldn't be a violation. Some There was some of each. And a, a lot of the top players had, had missed one, Federer, Nadal, the Williams sisters, Sharapova, Wozniacki, you know, more. Um, but that showed that there are holes in the out-of-competition testing, and that, and to me it showed that the whereabouts, whereabouts rules are necessary because you need out of any testing system without out-of-competition, random out-of-competition testing is, is useless. But with what the Ozdesnik uh, situation shows is he... he um, there is a blood test for HGH. Tennis doesn't do it. There's only been one positive test in any sport anywhere for HGH. This was a few months ago in rugby, which showed that the test does work. The the uh, athlete Terry Newton he um, pl- uh, I didn't know admitted he admitted that he had done it and he's suspended for two years. It was in a British rugby rugby league, and that's that has sh- that at least has shown some of the people who doubted that there was a real legitimate test for HGH that it can pick up a positive test tennis is going to apparently from what the ITF says after this Odesnik situation and after that that positive test look further they won't say anymore look further into doing HGH testing they they do do blood testing they don't do a lot out of competition it's it's um, fairly expensive to to take those units around. They do it pretty much exclusively at the Grand Slam, so the pros will know pretty much when they're going to be tested for blood just as they're, they know most of the time when they're, when they're tested for anything. That also means there's more loopholes, right, for the lower-ranked players because if, if you don't get to the big show and the big tournaments, you can kind of go under the radar a little bit. With yeah, well, Odesnik was this. tested, according to that sheet, that um, ITF document, Odesnik was tested just once last year at the U.S. Open, not a blood test, and chances are he was not a player important enough for them to have done a blood to have done a blood test those are usually done just on 
on top 20 players. Right. And if you're a top 20, I mean, you can get tested if you're a top player as much as what? 15, 18, 20 times a year, right? Yeah, Somewhere one year, a few years ago, Agassi was tested 22 times. Fetter's been tested in the 20s. Nadal was tested 14 or 15 times one year. I think last year, Fetter was tested 11 times. It seems like they were tested a few fewer times last year, but it, it, that also seems random. I think they, I'm not sure how they determine who gets tested as many times as, as they do it. I mean, I think, and you brought up the point of it, it's expensive, and the, the question was even asking, is, is testing too strong, not strong enough? And it's like, to me, it's, you can never spend too much money in trying to, to, you know, whether it's clean up your sport or show that your sport's clean, show you're doing everything you can, and, you know, the out-of-competition tests, and you have to telling, tell, you know, the drug people where you are for one hour every day of, uh, of every... Three of, months in advance. Three months in advance, which is obviously on the face of it, seemingly ridiculous and impossible. But at the same time, it's like you need to do what you have to do, and you decide to become a pro tennis player. And there's things you have to do that you're not going to like, and they're going to seem really unreasonable at times. But for the greater good of the sport, don't you th- I, I think yeah, personally I that it's to, what uh, you got to do. I talked to Stuart Miller at the ITF today, uh, the spokesman for this stuff, and he, he said he knows it's an imposition, but he, w- he wants the players to think of it as protecting them, the top players especially, protecting them from from other people who would cheat and there's been some complaints from Fed um not from Feder Feder has been has said that he would he he hasn't complained pointedly hasn't complained about it but there's been complaints from Murray and Nadal about about the onerous quality of the of the whereabouts rule but um and and the I you know I think the testing people would admit that it's an imposition but it's one that that's necessary yeah I agree and uh next question someone wrote in a Dave Hardy um, from Key West, Florida, wanted to know what's going on with Tatiana Golovin. Is she still playing? And um, she's nowhere to be found. I've asked the WTA. They have not been able to get back to me as to her whereabouts. Uh, Steve, any thoughts on Golovin, who obviously was in the swimsuit issue last I year? I don't know. She had a lot of ups and downs in her career. Uh, she was a she was a fun player to watch. She had a, she had a lot of touch. Um, was a was a nice. She had her game was a little more varied than than some of the other women. So. She had a tough touch of arthritis or something like that, like premature arthritis, from what I remember last year when she was dealing with some injuries, right? And then, um, yeah, just when she it seemed that like her career was just when she was seemed about to to make a breakthrough or move up a level, she then dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, and so sorry, Dave. WTA has no clue, and uh, neither do we do we at the moment. Um, this one is from Charles Armstrong, and he wants to ask. Uh, what are your three greatest underachievers uh, in men's tennis of all time? Three greatest underachievers in men's tennis. Um, I had the privy of seeing this before, Steve, so I'll go first, Steve. Um, I would go with, as underachievers, Ely Nastasi. He did win a couple grand slams, but with a talent, and everyone saw what he could do with a tennis ball when he was focused and not too busy arguing or acting like a clown. Seems like he could have won a lot more in terms of grand slams, although they ended up with 57 singles titles overall. Nothing, Not too shabby, but... Just shows what kind of talent he is or was that at least I think of him as an Nastasi. Nastasi yeah. was yeah. Um, Nastasi. He won a lot of Masters events with the season ender, which is the same as the uh, World Tour final. Now he won four of those, but he couldn't win. He couldn't win slams. He, I think he got to his nerves got to him in slams. But when he when the pressure was just slightly off, he would he could destroy people. He he took Borg to town, took Borg to school, and one of the Masters finals. But um. It rarely repeated it at the at the majors. And this email is actually from someone named, uh, with an address with Bjorn in it. So maybe uh, maybe Bjorn is writing this. I also thought Marcel Rios would be an all-time underachiever. He got to number one in the world, never won a Grand Slam. Um, had phenomenal talent, a southpaw. Um, 
he was at a time in men's tennis where I think the, the fields were also such that he could have snuck in and, and won some slams because it wasn't really at the height of when, well, I mean, Pete was there, but he was waning off toward the end when Rios was playing better, but he, he really didn't do anything of, yeah, of Rios consequence. Is, Rios, I think, is a no-brainer on that. His game was great. He had a fantastic backhand. He was as smooth as any player, um, and he you know never won a slam. And then uh, Safin, uh, I, that's the only other one I could really come up with. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing somebody from from way back uh, as an underachiever, but Safin is hard not to say he won he won those two bookends of Grand Slams. But again, with a guy that you just saw with his talent, he had the complete game, and he was the guy we thought was gonna was gonna do what Federer is doing or or, or has done over the last ten years. It's hard not to put Safin into that category as well. Um, what about and then the Charles Armstrong also asks, who's your current current great underachiever in men's tennis? And I'll leave that to you. Do you have anybody? Is it would it be Djokovic at this point? Uh, Djokovic or, well, it's, I suppose it's a little early to talk about Djokovic as an underachiever. If he continues like this and doesn't win another slam, you could, you could probably put him in that category. Um, there's no real player that is, is top right now where like a top 20 where you just look like, you know, you just immediately think, oh, he's definitely there's nobody. Is there any, you'd have to say that it would be somebody who you would, think could regularly beat Federer and Nadal. Right, which isn't... And <laughs> I, don't see, <laughs> okay. I don't see anybody that I would say, yeah, that guy should just be beating those guys. It's almost like the question isn't even... It's not even a fair question at this point because uh, how can you underachieve when you've got those two guys around? Um, here's somebody from Fred... Uh, no, excuse me. Dave Schindler. Um, can you please let name me a player who you expected to be doing better at this junction in his or her career but who hasn't really shined yet? So do you have anybody uh, in mind for that, Steve? I was going to go with Simone, um, who obviously got he was he got high up in the rankings a couple years ago. Stayed there for a year. Um, he's won some titles. Has a good game. He's sort of like that. He's sort of a, a backboard. He can use other people's pace, but he's had some injuries and he lost early in Miami. And and really, I mean, he's still seated or ranked in the top twenty-five, but uh, it doesn't seem like he's taken that next step. Oh, there's plenty of these people on the women's side, plenty, plenty of the women. Nicole Vitasova reached the semis at the French Open and the Australian Open a few years ago. She just retired at age 20. So that's somebody I would say. Uh, another person in 2004 when, when Svetlana Kuznetsova won the U.S. Open, she won it, you know, she won it playing, I thought, was very strong and smart tennis. Yeah, she was I, w- I thought she was, she was somebody who was going to be win, win more, you know, not many more slams, but may have been somebody who could win five, six slams. And she's she's had a really up and down career since then. She's won one other one. But what do you think holds her back? As, uh, as just because she, she, she's th- a great great athlete. She's a great. I think she's she her shots are sh- so risky in general. She has no. She doesn't seem to have a, a second gear. Everything's you know everything's in fifth gear. Every 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 shot is very risky shots. Very you know un unmatched when they go in but she she misses them a lot i don't i don't get the feeling that she's that she's lazy or she's not a great she's not a great fighter when she when she's going she doesn't really have a plan b i guess when when things start to go bad she can look like she doesn't care i think she does care but just a style I just, of her play i just think she has this game and if it works or it doesn't work it's one of a high-risk game looks great when you're winning and it looks like you're tanking almost when yeah. you're losing which is unfortunate um got a few emails about our hall of fame comments particularly i, I think they've gotten attributed to steve uh <laughs> some of them might have been mine but uh this one i will just pick out from a guy named joseph from toronto canada um 
And he's he's directing this to you, by the way, Steve. Mm-hmm. So I'll just uh, read okay. it in that te- uh, that intention. He uh, Steve mentioned the Hall of Fame and scoffed. Michael Chang got in, end quotes, uh, to show that it is not a real serious Hall of Fame. I'm not a Chang fan, but curious, what should the requirements be? And then he goes on and has a few other I things. I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> I think Chang should have gotten in. He won a slam. That's, I mean, if you're going to say anybody, and I don't, you know, it's unfair to just call people out. You would say Pam Shriver, who never, who got in on her own, but she never won a, she never won a singles Grand Slam. Michael Chang, by that criteria, he definitely belongs in the hall. But the the problem is somebody like Sergey Bruguera is not in. He's won two he French. Won, he won two French, and you would have to say that that's a U.S. bias in favor of of Chang over or right. just against Bruguera. I mean, I would say, and, and this is James speaking here, that Chang does not really deserve to be in ultimately with just one slam. I, I I think as Steve was alluding to, I think the hall is a popular I think it's a popularity contest and it's and it has a pro US bent. Because if you're gonna let Chang and I wrote some other names down of some people, Chang gets in with one slam and thirty four titles. Michael Steak won Wimbledon eighteenth overall titles. Bruguera two French, Thomas Muster, Tomas Johansson, Albert Costa, Gaston Gaudio. Um so like Gaudio's I don't think eligible at this point because he's still playing or is he still playing what is Gaudio, he's played, he played a challenger last week. Yeah, he lost so in the qualifying. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, so if you're going to let one in, then you have to let them all in if, if, if you're going to have real criteria. You, you, it's just like I don't think the number of singles titles overall really speaks much. Getting to number one in the world, I guess, would, would be part of it. Most of these guys did or got very close. He got to two. Bruguera got high up. Uh, maybe they look at Bruguera as, oh, he can only play on clay. And maybe that's why. I don't know. But I don't know if there's, there's a they – there, there is a committee that decides some of these things, but it's also people like you and I just that yeah. that vote. That overall, the people who are sent the ballots, they they know Michael Chang more than a lot of these guys you're 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 mentioning. Right, and I think that the the people that are voting don't don't take the time to to think of the inconsistencies, and you get a popularity contest. So, anyway, there you go, and I think that will do it for all of our letters for this time around. Um, we will be back probably Thursday or Friday to preview the Miami tournaments as it heads into the semis and finals. Hopefully you'll get to watch some of it on, uh, I guess we'll be watching on TennisTV.com this week, but um, which is another good place to check out. If you go to Tennis.com, by the way, we have banners and such for TennisTV.com. Go over to their site. You get a discount as a Tennis.com subscriber, and then you get to watch some tennis if you sign up to be a member. So it's a pretty good deal. We also have um, highlights and interviews on our site as well from Miami. So until Thursday or Friday uh, with Steve Tigner, I'm James Martin, and we'll talk to you later. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.